How did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi T. Jacobson with New Radio Media, and we'll spend the next hour talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. If you want to contact the show, as always, the number is the same, 844-999-9249. Or you can email us at Let's Talk Torah, no apostrophes, Let's Talk Torah at gmail.com. So, uh, you know, we've had a, a string of great, great interviews. And I guess all strings come uh, to an end, like all good hitting streaks, which we'll talk about a, an interesting uh, baseball story later. If you can imagine, I have a baseball story. Don't worry, it's not mine. Um, today, I am all by myself. Well, I, I have been, so I'm not really by myself. But as far as someone new, a, a phone call, an interview, a, a book, uh, all the great stuff we've had over the last six, seven weeks, today's a break. It's summertime, we're going to relax, we're going to enjoy, and we're just going to talk, talk, talk Torah, talk things I do, just to, you know, maybe tie some loose ends. For example, I have that great lead-in, I hope you're familiar with that lead-in from Fiddler on the Roof, and uh, that famous song called Tradition. So, in case you ever wondered, the reason why I like that lead-in, especially the monologue, is because he talks about tradition. And a lot of things we like to talk about being Jewish is tradition. There's a lot of things we do. And Tevye doesn't know why we do all those things in tradition. He was a farmer. Uh, he had his, uh, his uh, cows for milk and cheese and stuff. So he was a simple person. He didn't know the reasons. Hopefully I know a lot of the reasons, but I think sometimes he got it right. A lot of stuff we do is because it's a tradition. And since the tradition, and our parents did it, and grandparents did it, and great-grandparents did it, and all the way back through the generations, there must be a good reason. Sometimes we know the reason. There's many books on the reasons, and sometimes we don't know the reasons. I just uh, feel that that song, at least till I get bored of it, um, hits it, and that's why I like that as our opening monologue to get us into the show. So, um, because... We're at the beginning of Deuteronomy. We're actually um, we're getting ready for our fourth Torah portion already in Deuteronomy. We're going to give an overview of some of the things that have been happening, some interesting points, some important points. Um, a couple weeks ago, I didn't finish the Shema. I want to get into some of the nitty-gritty of the Shema. Um, we're going to talk about Moses and his leadership. We're going to talk about how he rebuked. Um, I got a fundraising story for you happened last week. Of course, we have trending news. We have some Jewish state law stuff. And uh, we're going to see where life takes us today. We'll just leave that paper on the side. Let me tell you this fundraising story. Fascinating. So I'm with a donor who said I cannot say who he is, um, so therefore I will not. But I was with a donor last Friday, and he was talking about just the concept 
of being a donor, and he's a a fantastic donor. He has a few specific charities. He has a couple colleges that he likes to give. Um, he gives Yeshiva Stachet Torah. He gives other schools in Detroit. He he lives, loves education. Very educated man. Education is everything to him. And whenever we go in for special needs, for special asks, books, computers, children, special needs, tutors, he's been amazingly helpful. So he said something very, very profound, really. He's sitting there, we're talking, and again, he's involved in colleges, and he says, you have all these people, he was talking about athletes and other ones, with so much money. Do they give their money where it belongs? Do they give back to the schools they were in? Some of them. Some of them do. but And even those that give, compared to their wealth, are not giving anything to, uh, to write home about. And he felt that a person needs to know that if you're successful in life and you have the money that you need and your family is taken care of and you have your trips and you have your houses, at some point, like Bill Gates, I told my friend I wish he was uh, Bill Gates giving away $48 billion or whatever it is, then I wouldn't have such a hard job. But I have a hard job because he's not Bill Gates. But in any case, that idea of giving away, you, you gained from this world, you got from this world, you benefited, give back. Whatever organization you're happy with, there's thousands, tens of thousands of organizations, and they can all use help. And uh, it's nice, of course, when people want to volunteer. It's beautiful. But a lot of the work that's done in organizations takes money. Now, you should be careful. You're not going to pick an organization that doesn't use their money wisely. You want somebody that's a good steward, that's careful with your money, and you want it to go for a good cause. And certainly charity is something that God appreciates and wants, and it's one of the foundations of the world. It's one of the three that we have to be charitable, and it's a good thing. So uh, it was just a nice, heartwarming, I guess, conversation to be sitting with a donor who's so happy that he's able to give to whichever organization you're in there fundraising for, but he's so happy to give you like you feel good. It was even interesting. His wife says to me that uh, the it seems it'll be in the papers or something. They're about to be to give a million dollars to a different organization, and they wanted to make sure because um, they weren't giving me that kind of money that I shouldn't feel bad. And and they they came to apologize, but they take care of us, so it's not a worry. But I wasn't allowed to say their names. Um, but just in case. Um, you happen to be such a person and I haven't met you, please just send a message to my email, let's talk Torah at gmail.com, and Yeshiva Sarchai Torah will be greatly appreciative. I would love to meet you. I could bring you down here. That works also. All good stuff. Okay, so last week I left a lot of stuff, not last week, it's actually uh, two weeks ago. I left a lot of good stuff on the table and I really, really wanted to get back to it, take it slow. And that was the Shema. We really only discussed the first line. Hear, O Israel, Hashem is our God. Um, Hashem is one. It's, uh, of course, from those most famous lines. We talked about it. Um, But I wanted to get into the next couple lines. So the line in the Shema says, You will love your God with all your heart. Now, heart is spelled a little funny over there. We'll talk about it. You'll love God with all your heart, with all your soul, And then again, the next word is a little bit uh, debatable on its translation, but we'll start with all your money. 
So you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your money. So the the Talmud wants to know, what are we asking for over here? What's all this? What, what, what am I asking for? So all your heart. I mean, we all people are very good at saying, oh, yeah, I serve God with my heart. What does that mean? I have a good heart. God knows I have a good heart. That's why I serve God. It doesn't mean that, that intrinsically I'm a, I'm a good person, but my actions may not belly exactly what, uh, what I'm doing. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about if you think you have a good heart. You may have a good heart, and a good heart is very, very important. But we mean a very interesting concept. And heart, in a modern terminology, might be the wrong word. That's debatable amongst the rabbis. But a person has an inclination. He's actually born with an evil inclination. And his only good inclination at that time is everyone who surrounds him. His parents, his teachers, his friends, his siblings. To point that child, give direction to that child, to put him on the right path. Evil inclination says, misbehave. Come on, we've, we know what kids are like in school. We know what they're like now during the summer. We have our evil inclination not to do maybe the straight and narrow and our parents, again, teachers, grandparents, whoever it is, not so much grandparents. Grandparents would rather just uh, smile and watch and comment to themselves and leave the kids alone. Um, but in any case, we, we, um, we have that evil inclination. And then when we become 13 for girl 12, barim bas mitzvah, we, we, we receive a good inclination. So now we have an internal mechanism, which at 13 or 12 is a baby, obviously. So it'll take that good inclination again, years of training, to be able to fight, to combat that evil inclination. And now we go through life with decisions. We always have decisions. I should do this. I shouldn't do this. So the first thing is you're going to love God with both inclinations. So it's easy to love God listening to my good side. The question is, how do you serve God on your with your evil inclination. So there's all kinds of answers. Um, one answer is a maybe it's deep, maybe it's not, but it's certainly what to think about. And that is sometimes you're not sure what the right decision is. So if if you can hear that it's your evil inclination talking to you, okay, you know to do the opposite. Like my grandmother used to say to me when we were driving, I had a they didn't have ways in those days or a GPS or anything. So when we would be at a stop sign and we'd be sitting there saying, so is the library to the left or to the right? So I would say, oh, to the left. And my grandmother would say, if Tzvi says it's left, it's for sure to the right. Sure enough, we go to the right, no problem. So sometimes you can figure out that your, your evil inclination is telling you this is the wrong way, then you can pick the right way. Okay, good. Then we get into serving, loving God with all your soul. So again, the Talmud says, even if you're going to lose your soul, meaning there are times that a person has to give up his life in order to serve God. Generally speaking, it's for going against what we call the big three. Um, if you're told to commit murder or adultery or, um, or idol worship. So those that's called the big three. You give up your life for that. Um, Publicly sinning would also be a good example. You have to be willing to serve God with your soul, even if it costs your soul. Even though, generally speaking, God wants us to live. God does not want us to try to become more holy and die becoming more holy. That's not what God is looking for. He wants us to serve Him. 
But there are times you have to serve God with your life. We had Holocaust conversations a couple weeks ago. You serve God with your life. That's Those people, their final service was going to be giving up their life. One of the most famous um, historical people was the great Rabbi Akiva, that he served God with his soul, and the he taught Torah publicly, and the Romans um, had made it uh, punishable by death, and they were, they were, I think they scraped his skin with metal combs. I don't know exactly. Certainly quite torturous. Ben's not so happy. Um, yeah, they were, they were pretty nasty. And uh, go ahead, Ben. What's the matter? I, I don't know. Wow. They were bad people. Yeah. They were bad people. That's the type of thing that'll ruin your whole weekend. I yeah, mean. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he didn't live through the weekend, but yeah. Right. Yeah, but that would do just, it. Yeah. Uh, but interesting enough, he was, um, Rabbi Akiva was actually, the Talmud says, smiling, laughing. So his students said, how could you be happy when, when you're being killed? So Rabbi Akiva said, my whole life, I read this verse a couple times a day. To serve God with your whole soul. And I didn't know, would I really do it? And now I see I'm willing to do it. I shouldn't be happy. That was... Um, Rabbi Akiva's statement on with all your soul. So we serve God with all our soul. Next, you serve God with all your money. Now, that's really fairly simple, straightforward. We just really discussed it with my uh, fundraising story. And that is that um, it's not good enough just to serve God. I'll sit and I'll study and I'll be righteous and religious. I got to do. I got to help. I got to. And sometimes help means money. Whatever I need to help with. Somebody has more money, he has to help with more money. And I was a poor person also has to help with money. It doesn't matter his money doesn't go as far. That's his job. Someone who has the wherewithal and the means to be supportive, he has to support with his money. Now, there's an interesting question. If I have to serve God with my soul, if I have to get killed in order to serve God, it should be pretty obvious that I got to give my money away. You know, yeah, everybody heard your money or your life. Right? Like, it's the stupidest question ever. What do you mean your money or your life? Of course you have to give away your money, even though there are people that think their money is more important than their life. But, again, if I have to give my, my, my soul, certainly my money. So many years ago I saw someone explain that there's different people out there. There are people that will give you money. Whatever you need, they'll give you money. And you say to the person, you know, it would be important for the organization if you could come visit us, if you could come talk to whatever our organization does, if you could come to our dinner. Uh, Here's money, money. You just want money from me. No, no, we want your money, but we want your physical participation. So there's a guy that's willing to serve, to love God with his money, but he doesn't want to give of himself personally. And then you have the opposite. You have people, oh, you have a dinner, you want me to come to your organization, I'll speak. I have people do this all the time. They're wealthy people. They want to know, can they come and maybe help, um, you know, give a class on something or, or um, help me move some chairs around, which is all beautiful. But if you have the wherewithal, so just helping with, with some physical needs, which are beautiful, but you got to help with money also. So when it comes to helping organizations, you help with your soul, you help with your body, you help with your money. Beautiful. So that's all your heart or your soul or your money. As I told you, this word, the Hebrew word is me'odecha. This word me'odecha is a funny word because it's not the standard word for money. Mamon or kesef is a standard word for money, not me'odecha. 
So the second translation of this word, it is um, with all like the attributes, with all the, with all, I don't want to say character traits, with all the skills that God has given you, all the talents, that's really the best word. I serve God with my talents, with whatever he's given me. I can sing, I can teach, I can manage, I can help you um, do your books. I'm very good with math. Um, I have contacts. Whatever God made you, that's how you're supposed to serve him. If he made you very wealthy, if he made you very smart, you have your way of serving God. If God made you not so intelligent, if God made you not so handsome or not so beautiful or not so wealthy or um, maybe not even so talented. So God says, I know what I'm doing. I know who you are and what you are. I put you in this world with certain talents, and that's how you're going to serve me, says God. So it's not only I have to, to serve with my heart, with my soul, but with I, my job is to serve God with who I am. It's not my job to say, well, look how this one's serving God or that one's serving God or the other one's serving God. All very beautiful stuff. But I have to be me. There were great rabbis who used to say before they passed away, I'm not worried that God will ask, how come you weren't like this rabbi? How come you weren't like that rabbi? How come you weren't this person? How come you weren't you? And it was whatever you is, whatever you're supposed to be, whatever God made you, that's how you're supposed to serve God. And I almost got through the Shema. I don't know what's going to happen today. So many ideas to touch on. We're going to maybe continue a little in the Shema because I got a good story coming up. We got great trending news coming up. Um, So just hold on through the break and we'll be right back. Fingerprints is the place to go. A1 Fingerprints specializes in fingerprinting for teachers, students, law enforcement, and more. A1 makes the process so easy and simple, you can be in and out in 10 minutes. A1 does walk-ins, so appointments aren't necessary. A1 Fingerprints, located in Southfield on Southfield Road. Go to a1fingerprints.com for more information. That's a1fingerprints.com. It's that easy. Maple Lane Golf Club is a 54-hole golfing treasure located in the heart of Sterling Heights. Maple Lane Golf Club offers immaculate greens, a top-flight pro shop, and inexpensive green fees. For convenience, book your tee time online at maplelanegolf.com. Come out and enjoy a great golf experience. Try our 9 and Dine special, 9 holes of golf, and enjoy food and refreshments in the Clubhouse Bistro. That's Maple Lane Golf Club in Sterling Heights. Check us out at maplelanegolf.com. Advertising your business these days can be challenging. Traditional radio and TV ads are expensive and, frankly, a bit of a crapshoot. Not to mention, the audience for over-the-air material is shrinking as more and more of us demand to see and hear what we want, when we want. Advertising on new radio media is a solution. With our live streaming programs that are also available on demand, your message is always ready when your customers are ready to watch and listen, all for a fraction of what you'd likely have been paying for other ads. NewRadioMedia.com. Call Buzz Van Houten at 248 239-9999 for more information.
And we're back. And I know I don't have a guest. And I looked at my my one piece of paper and I did one line. How am I going to get through this? But I have such a good story to tell you. So we're going to continue in the Shema a little bit. And then we'll see what our next topic is. At the end of this first paragraph of Shema, it talks about teaching children, making sure you teach them that they're sharp, that they understand, that they're clear. Then it talks about that you're going to write these words and tie them onto your arm and your head. That's what we call phylacteries, or in Hebrew it's tefillin. And we're also going to put them on our doorpost. I don't know if you've ever seen this before. Uh, if you come to my house, you'll see it. Um, on the doorpost in the house is what's called the mezuzah. And the mezuzah has a parchment with the first two paragraphs of the Shema, one of them that we're talking about right now, and one actually at the end of last week's Torah portion, Um, Those two are written, they're handwritten, they're on parchment, similar to a Torah scroll, with ink, um, lots of rules and regulations. You want a a trusted person to write it because it's very easy to make a mistake that would ruin the mezuzah, but you could never tell. In other words, you you actually can't fix it out of order. Once you've written a word and that you find a mistake two lines above, the only way to fix it is to erase the whole thing. So if you're not an honest person... So uh, the guy buying, the buyer beware, right? The person buying the mezuzah um, is going to get it wrong. As a as a help to people, in case you ever check your mezuzah, it has to be made of parchment, not paper. That's number one. There were people that were not so nice, unscrupulous, and they would put a paper photocopy, not kosher. Second thing you have to be careful of, people don't know. There are people that in that little scroll that's in a little, like, container on the doorpost, um, some people have the Ten Commandments in there, which is very beautiful, except the Ten Commandments is not what's supposed to be on my doorpost. What's supposed to be on my doorpost is this little scroll with the first two paragraphs of the Shema on parchment written by a qualified scribe um, who's God-fearing and uh, trustworthy. So, again, buyer beware. Um, you have to be careful where you purchase these things from because you could, I mean, it's like the easiest command. You have it up on your door. It's like, it's not free. It costs you money to buy the scroll, but um, but you lose out on a very, very easy command. Like, here's a hint for you. Um, if it only costs you 20 bucks, probably not kosher. doesn't mean that if you paid 75, it is kosher. It just means that if it's 20 bucks, it's probably worthless. Okay, you make sure if you have them, uh, we ch- try to check them every couple of years because of the weather and cracking and other stuff, and you paint your house and stuff, and good to check into. But here's the story. Uh, there was a nephew of the Caesar. Um, his name was Uncleus. He was a convert. <clears throat> Interesting enough, I'm sorry about my throat. Ah, that's better. Love water. Um, interesting enough, um, at the time, we were talking about the, the, the famous Rabbi Akiva was being killed for teaching Torah publicly. At the time that the Roman government was being so oppressive after the destruction of the Second Temple, there were a tremendous amount of converts. And they weren't coming from just regular people. They were coming from higher-ups in government. So the nephew of the Caesar, his name was Uncleus, <clears throat> well... I should be using my cough button when I have to clear my throat. I have to learn how to do this. Or to buy the break. In any case, um, he converted and his uncle was not happy. So his uncle sent a troop of soldiers to bring him back. So 
uncle starts to have a conversation with them and basically convinces them that you guys are, are, are out of your mind. You're wasting your time. You want to be Jewish. They convert. He sends a second group to them, and he and uh, he, again, Uncle converts a second group. So now he's up to the third group. He says, listen to me. You don't talk to this Uncle guy. Don't get into conversations with him. Just take him out of his house and bring him back. So they go to his house, and on the way out of his house, he kisses the mezuzah on the doorpost. Um, many people, when they walk in and out of a Jewish home that has a mezuzah, they will give it a kiss that shows that you love the mitzvah, you don't have to kiss it. There's no command to kiss it. It just shows you love that command. So, of course, the guards are curious and they say, hey, what are you doing? So Uncle says, let me ask you. Um, you know, you guys are guards, right? So um, when, the, when the Caesar leaves his palace, right? So, so who guards the palace? Oh, we have soldiers and we have this and... and and which soldiers guard this and places and stuff. So it's all soldiers. So does the Caesar guard the house when he leaves? No, the Caesar's not in the house. He says, well, I'll tell you something. When I leave my house, God is protecting my house. So the king, instead of me having to guard the king, the king is guarding me. And they were so overwhelmed when they understood the concept, which I'm not going to spend too much time explaining, but if you just think about it, we like to say that a lot, if you think about it, that the, the idea that God is protecting me, not that my job is to protect the king, but the king is protecting my house when I walk out, so that's something that's quite amazing, and it caused the third group to convert, and the uncle said, forget about it, it's costing me too many soldiers, um, I'm not going to bother anymore with uh, this uncleless character. Okay, so that's what I wanted to get into in the Shema, and now we're going to sort of take a right turn, and let's talk a little about Deuteronomy and some interesting stories that happened to me this week, and uh, we'll see how much time I have. So the book of Deuteronomy, or the book of Devarim, um, is the last 36 days of Moses' life. In this last book, he'll go over all the commandments, and he'll spend a lot of time rebuking the Jewish people, and he does it brilliant. First, he starts hinting to them, remember this place and that place and this location, we camped over here and over there, sort of hinting to them to get them, uh, you know, have a nice conversation. And then once their their minds are open because he's talking to them nicely, then he can rebuke them for all the things they did wrong. He was a master at, uh, at rebuke which is um, really what I wanted to get into because um, his, his idea of rebuke was with respect. And uh, somebody asked me, uh, a guest came to synagogue this week and um, we're, we're talking about the prophets and he says to me, you know, Moses is called Moses our teacher. He's not called Moses the prophet. Why is Moses called Moses our teacher? He clearly, he was the greatest prophet of all um, the Maimonides says one of the tenets of our belief is that Moses was the greatest prophet. So why not refer to Moses as Moses the prophet? So I told him, I said, Moses is different than the other prophets. All the other prophets, they had a job. The job was to rebuke, to tell the Jewish people they're doing something wrong and they're going to be punished. Sometimes to say, even though you're being punished, but God's going to take care of you afterwards. But a lot, a lot of stuff in the prophets is rebuke. 
Moses also rebukes, but Moses is the master at rebuke. He understood how to rebuke. I'm not saying those prophets didn't know how. They were given specific rules and regulations, how they had to give across their message. That's fine. That's not the conversation. But Moses is much more than just a prophet with rebuke. Moses knows how to talk to us. Moses knows how to rebuke us. Moses knows how to show respect, which is what I wanted to get into. Moses knows how to respect us. And Moses also, of course, the teacher. He teaches us the whole Torah. He gives us the whole Torah, all the commandments. He's that great leader. And this is where he's unusual. All the other prophets, God says, go tell them the Jewish people are doing this wrong. They go say, Moses would rebuke us and he would let us have it. But if God said he wanted to destroy us, Moses becomes our defense attorney. So on one hand, Moses has to rebuke us and tell us what we're doing wrong. And on the other hand, he's busy defending us. So the person who's going to rebuke you has to tell you doing something wrong. If that person can defend you, that's the best person. Um, Mothers, by the way, are usually excellent at that. In other words, they'll tell their child they're doing something wrong. You did this wrong. you, You did that wrong. But... Woe to the teacher that calls up the mother and says, your son or daughter, do you know what they did in my class? And the mother will will stand to defend her child. That is the best defense attorney. The same person who can rebuke you, can tell you're doing something wrong and wants you to improve. They're your defense attorney. Why are they so good? Because even when they're rebuking you, all they want is what's best for you. They want you to be your best. So... If it, but they also want to protect you. So they're going to protect you, and they want you to be your best, and that's translation of mother, which is really an amazing thought. But I want to tell you uh, some interesting respect stories. We'll see how much time I got. One, I was, by a, uh, I was on a friend's boat. He takes me out with my kids, usually once a summer, sometimes twice a summer. So on a pontoon, and um, I, I forgot all the details. He shows me a picture from our magazine. I told him, I said, you know, that's got to be the most boring magazine but um, he was in an office, and he's looking at our magazine. I have people laughing here. I have no idea why. There must be something I'm going to find out later. But poor Ben is laughing away. But in any case, um, he looks at the picture, and it's a, a World Series in St. Louis. And it's the seventh game. It might have been with the Tigers. I don't know. And uh, he remembered he was sitting on the first base line at the game. Sure enough, he blows up the picture, and he shows me in this hour magazine, he's like at a front row on the first base side, Today's ball game. It was like the end of the game, like the pitcher jumped up in the air and the catcher caught him. I don't, I don't know the names. But in any case, um, I look at the picture and I say, Steve, I mean, he was a kid. You're wearing a tie like me. I said, what are you wearing a tie for? It's a baseball game. He said, in those days, everybody wore ties to the ball game. It was the most normal thing. So if you know what our magazine I'm talking about, you look carefully at that picture. And uh, everybody's wearing ties. Because they understood respect. We're talking about Moses knows how to rebuke. Parents, mothers know how to rebuke, know how to show love, because it's all with respect. But a lot of times respect comes from respecting yourself. You got to know how to respect yourself. And again, here comes my music. And another interesting self-worth story. Either I will get there after the break. I won't. I have some fantastic trending news that I've been saving up. You're going to love it. So just hold on through the break, and we'll be right back. I'm Rabbi Tzvi with uh, New Radio Media, and hold on.
closed doors. Plus, the latest LiftMaster garage door openers and the toughest retractable screens on the market, all by the push of a button. Tarno Doors is celebrating its 50th year anniversary and is the recipient of the 2016 Subcontractor of the Year from the Home Builders Association. Tarno knows doors. Tarno knows doors. If you need a fingerprinting service, A1 Fingerprints is the place to go. A1 Fingerprints specializes in fingerprinting for teachers, students, law enforcement, and more. A1 makes the process so easy and simple you can be in and out in 10 minutes. A1 does walk-ins so appointments aren't necessary. A1 Fingerprints, located in Southfield on Southfield Road. Go to a1fingerprints.com for more information. That's a1fingerprints.com. It's that easy. Guys, wait up. Hold on. Daddy said hold on. You know, I was thinking, Bill, yeah. I'm ready for our show, and, and you're ready for the mm -hmm. show, but how do we let everyone know that we're ready for the show? Uh, slow motion rap video? Hi, I'm Art, and we're the crew at Tuffy Walled Lake. We've been in Walled Lake for 20 years, and through our knowledgeable staff and customer satisfaction, we've become quite the cornerstone in our community and to our discerning customers statewide. We know how important your vehicle is to you, and we take pride in our impeccable, affordable service, and we're trying to get you back on the road as quickly and safely as we possibly can. Please stop in and see why everybody comes from all over to get their car serviced at 784 North Pontiac Trail in Walled Lake. And we're back. And it's amazing. The time is flying. Uh, you know, I, I, I got through two other things on my long list today. Lots of stuff to talk about. Not enough time. But that's good. We, 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 we squeeze it in. Um, I wanted to talk about, very interesting in the Torah portion, talks about bees. Uh, what does it talk about bees? It says um, that after the Jewish people sinned by the spies and they said we don't want to go into the land of Israel and we've talked about this concept numerous times right be careful what you ask for you might get it so the Jewish people said we don't want to go in God says no problem you're not going then like many people when they realized they did something wrong they said we'll show God that we we feel terrible for what we did and we're gonna go and show God we're gonna go march right in right now the problem is, God already told you, you're not going. But there's a lot of people out there, and in the Torah as well, that they decided, without Moses' permission, that uh, we know better. We know what God wants. Even though God just told you what he wanted. He said, you're not going. You're going to be in the desert for 40 years. But these people said, we know better. So they, and Moses didn't go with them. Uh, Moses told them not to go, and a bunch of them marched um, towards Israel, and they were all killed. Interesting, when the Torah is describing how they were killed, it calls this nation that they attacked the Jews like bees. Like, you know, the bees that sting and stuff. So why why they compared like bees? So very interesting. First of all, a bee, when it stings and the stinger comes out, the bee will die. So anybody that hit a Jew, they did kill Jews, but they themselves died. There's another fascinating answer that I saw. 
And that is, um, if you um, beekeepers know this, of course, how do you get the honey? How do you get the honeycombs out of a beehive? The bees will sting you. So beers don't care, but uh, people do. So they have these like smoke machines, and I guess the smoke puts the bees to sleep. So the Jewish people were marching towards the land of Canaan without their smoke, without the pillar of cloud that led the way. So since there's no pillar of cloud to protect them from the bees, right, again, it's just a comparison. It's not an exact, right? Of course, God is protecting us. But in the comparison, the bees can attack you because you don't have your cloud, your smoke that would just uh, wipe out and put to sleep all those bees. But after all these weeks of missing on my trending news, and I don't want Josh to be angry at me, uh, we got a new kind of trending news this week. What do we got? I used to sing this song in my house all the time. These aren't even real words. Okay, so this week, and part one of our trending news, and I didn't bring all the information, but that's okay. Um, I had some interesting news about becoming wealthy. It's important. Again, all news that I tell you is much more important than listening to all the other stuff going on out there. I can't even listen to the news out there anymore. This is much more important. So actually, um, uh, there, there's, um, they just came out with the 10 brands that are most indicative of a high income. So um, it used to be like Grey Papan, if I'm pronouncing it right, that mustard, that was a sign that you were high income. Actually, um, one of the uh, objects on the list is Ziploc bags. So we in my house, we have both kinds, actually, as we have the tie. And then for certain things that go in the freezer, we have those Ziploc bags. We don't only use Ziploc bags. I guess that means I'm somewhere in between and certain phones, of course, show that you're high income. That was one thing trending in the news. You want to know the list, go look at the list and you can check off for yourself um, if at least the, the people who make these lists think you're high income. Um, I had my, my grandchildren, two of my married daughters, were in for the weekend. And it's really fascinating. My children are convinced that I am just the wealthiest person they ever ran into. I guess because I keep giving away my credit card. Everything they ask for, they seem to get. So, kids. But, um, you know, it has its benefits. You know, they can th- maybe they'll be nice to me because they're, they're waiting for some of that to come down. Maybe. Um, here's another one for you in trending news this week. Um, in marriages, so Ben, this is for you, um, where the wife earns more than the husband, both spouses tend to misrepresent their income. What's interesting is wives will say they earn less, and husbands will say they earn more. I have no problem with her making more money than me. I'm not. A, I'm not a. Oh, this has to do with being ashamed. No, this has to do with when the wife will talk about her income. She will tell people she makes less than her husband, and generally speaking, generally, mm-hmm. right? There's always exceptions. Um, the husbands will pretend to make more than their wives. So just another important piece of news. Here's something for you. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, the population of most countries is shrinking. So the it's like an upside-down pyramid. In mm-hmm. other words, the idea was that you have a married couple, and they have a couple kids, and they each have a couple kids, so the, the, the base gets larger. Instead, certainly in Europe, you'll have four grandparents, two parents, and one child. So it's an upside-down pyramid. 
So the problem is there's not enough people to, uh, to do all the work that we need. So when we talk about immigration and stuff, there's reasons for immigration. There's not enough people to do the work without getting involved, legal, illegal. That's not, you know, me. I'm not talking about that stuff. But um, if you don't want to go the immigration route, um, in Japan and other countries, they want to go the robot route. So they want to start getting, you may need some money for these robots, but if there's not enough people to do all the work, then we're going to start needing robots. So again, something to think about. And here's one more, here's one more um, uh, money one. Uh, this is a lady by the name of Ellen Fleming. Did you hear about her this week? Um, she was a millionaire for a couple hours. Yeah. She actually got a phone call from her, um, I don't even know if it was hers, from uh, whoever she, her company or whoever had her name um, used uh, to buy bo- stocks and bonds. And they said, okay, Mrs. Fleming, we'd like you to know that a uh, million dollars was recently placed in your account. We just want to make sure you know that. So um, she was a millionaire for a couple hours till they called her back and said, oops, sorry, slight mistake, um, wrong Fleming. We'll, uh, we'll be removing um, that money now. Mm. Okay, <laughs> so much for that trending news. But That's here, by awful. the way, well, you know, there's a lot of people out there that always wanted to, they, they wanted the feeling of being wealthy. They think it's important. Again, you could do it my way. You could just tell everybody you have money. But um, if you don't want to go that route, you want to know what it feels like to have money, she had the feeling for a few hours of what it's like to be wealthy. It reminds me of a story. Um, there was a, uh, 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 in Europe, there was a wealthy man and he had a friend, he took care, he was a poor man. And so there was always, just like nowadays, lotteries, they had lotteries then also. And the wealthy man said, you know, wouldn't it be great if this poor Schlamazel had money? So he bought him one of these, however the lottery tickets worked in Europe in those days. They were expensive. So he bought the ticket and sure enough, his friend wins. Now, I didn't have telephones in those days. And by the time he got the information, it was like 12 o'clock at night. He said, wouldn't my friend be so happy to hear that he's a wealthy man? I mean, come on. I, I can't wait till tomorrow morning. I must share this good news. So the wealthy man trudges through the snow. It's already 1 o'clock in the morning. He pounds on his poor friend's door. Mm-hmm. And his friend opens the door and he says to the wealthy man, why are you here? It's the middle of the night. I was sleeping. Is everything Okay. Yes, yes, my friend. Everything is fantastic. I wanted to let you know, um, I bought a lottery ticket for you, and you won. So the, the once poor man looks at his wealthy friend and says, you mean I, I'm a wealthy man? Yes. You knew that I was a wealthy man? Uh, yeah. And you're knocking on my door in the middle of the night? Who do you think you are? I'm a wealthy man. You don't wake somebody up like me in the middle of the night. <laughs> so I guess there's what to be said for feeling wealthy, even if just... For a short amount of time. So we talked about bees. So since uh, we talked about bees and animals, and interesting enough in the Torah portion, it talks about that uh, one of the blessings is that God will bless us with, again, in those days there were cattle herders and shepherds and stuff, so God will bless you with with large, large flocks. That was money in those days. So um, there's more trending news about animals this week. Um, unfortunately, um, they're all because of that fire out in California. There's those raging fires in California. I read somewhere that this, the, I don't know exactly what this means, but the fires are so intense that um, it's changing the weather, actually. 
It's it's having a terrible effect. I grew up with Smokey Bear. You're supposed to be careful. I don't know. I remember Smokey Bear. But anyways, um, here's a few important stories for those who are living in California. Um, there was a 14-foot python um, that uh, seems to have escaped. In other words, there was some uh, um, pet store, and they moved as many animals as they could. And they had this 14-foot python in like, a, a, I guess, a tote of some sort, mm-hmm. and it got out. So they've told everybody, they Facebooked all the people they know, and they said, you know, if you see the python, don't worry, he's friendly, usually. Um, you should keep your dogs and cats away because they might be lunch. But um, that python is running around, and it likes cool areas. So it could be under tarps, or it could be, I was just going to go away from the fire. Snakes like cool, not hot. They don't think it will cross the road. They're not sure. So if you're in that area, in Redding, by the way, is where that story is. You should be careful. Um, another story, by the way. Um, this is actually... Oh, well, you know, we'll skip a story because we'll stay in California. Um, there's a retired Marine, and he's actually saved dozens of animals during this fire. I don't know if you heard about this. Um, his name is Tucker Zimmerman. Um, he hasn't been sleeping because um, the retired U.S. Marine has rushed into a new battle as a volunteer rescuing stranded horses and other livestock. Um, so he seems to be a modest guy. He's just trying to help the horses and move them away from the fire. He borrowed a trailer, puts the horse or animals into the trailer, drives it away. So a pretty good guy. A pretty good guy. Yeah. Nice uh, animal story. And here's just one more animal story for you. This animal story is in, uh, taking place in uh, Australia somewhere. Um, and, you know, sometimes you look at the heading and it's not really as bad as the heading makes it sound. But I think we read stuff because we read the headings. I love reading headings. Right. I read headings, but I don't got time and patience for the stories. But here we go. Um, mobs of kangaroos have been raiding patches of grass in the Australian capital of Canberra, mm-hmm. if that's how you pronounce it, driven to the city's sports fields, backyards, and roadsides by food scarcity. So it seems they're going through a drought, and it seems a lot of these kangaroos hang out in like uh, public parks. Mm-hmm. And since they're, if the public parks are drying up, they're going to find grass. Mm-hmm. And they, they've, uh, um, I guess you want to take pictures, it's a good thing. But again, for those who are listening in Australia, you should know. But for the American tourist who doesn't know, kangaroos are very strong. It's strong and they can be aggressive. It can be, be aggressive. Yeah. yeah, so you should not get too close just because they're hopping up into your... Um, area yeah. and they're eating some grass or maybe they want what you're serving for lunch. I don't know if they eat hamburgers. I have no idea. No, they're, they're, they're herbivores. They're, yeah, they're herbivores. Okay, but so we don't have to... Uh, I, I do have a good good news, good follow-up to the snake story. Please, please. He was found in uh, in a milk crate. You're kidding. Nope. Found so, in a milk crate. Amazing. I don't think I can take credit for that um, amazing right. piece of information, but uh, good news to mm-hmm. know that the, now my kids love pythons. Really? They, they like snakes. Yeah. So I'm sure if they heard that people were looking for a snake, they'd be out there looking. So, <laughs> But my kids live here. They don't live in California. So that's all good. And again comes the music as we're flying through our day. We got to get to our letter of the week, our word of the week, wrap up some other good stories to finish up our day. So you're listening to Rabbi Tzu with Let's Talk with Let's Talk Torah on New Radio Media. And uh, hold on through the break. We're going to be right back with some really good stuff. Maple Lane Golf Club is a 54-hole golfing treasure located in the heart of Sterling Heights. 
Maple Lane Golf Club offers immaculate greens, a top-flight pro shop, and inexpensive green fees. For convenience, book your tee time online at maplelanegolf.com. Come out and enjoy a great golf experience. Try our Nine and Dine special. Nine holes of golf and enjoy food and refreshments in the Clubhouse Bistro. That's Maple Lane Golf Club in Sterling Heights. Check us out at maplelanegolf.com. At Murray's Park City, we're known for offering customer service you won't get in any chain store or online. But don't take it from me, just listen to what our customers have to say. The employees at Murray's are knowledgeable, courteous. They make you feel like you're at home. Pick up a can of Seafoam Fuel System Treatment for only $6.99 or a 5-quart container of Mobile One Motor Oil for just $28.95. Murray's Park City and Pontiac Trail at Maple Road in Wald Lake. We've got the parts you need when you need them. A study from Johns Hopkins researchers indicates a high-fat diet may lead to the development of new nerve cells in your brain that influence how much you eat. But it's also been known for decades that the brain continues to form new nerve cells well into adulthood. So for now it appears the process occurs not only in the parts of your brain associated with memory and a sense of smell, but also in the ones that control your various body functions including hunger and thirst. One researcher believes that your brain functions this way as part of your body's survival mechanism. When food is abundant, it generates cells that will make you eat more and make you store excess calories as fat for use when food is not readily available. But the problem with humans, particularly those in developed countries, is that food is almost always readily available. So the more you eat, the more fat you store and the greater becomes your appetite. With another Prescription for Your Health, I'm Dr. Jim Bragman. And we're back for a few minutes to wrap up another fantastic show. I'm here by my lonesome today, so I've been able to get lots of good information out there. Um, we were talking about bees before, talking about animals before. You know, interesting, there's a um, King David also talked about bees. And we said that bees, um, when they sting, um, they die. So I heard someone say this morning when King David said, now, you can take it or leave it. When King David said in the future, so he's back um, 3,000 years ago, um, or 3,300 years ago, when King David talks about, um, I'm just making the, sorry, the numbers in my head. I'm busy thinking about the numbers. Sorry about that. When King David says that bees will attack the Jewish people, so someone said today that's like a, that's like a suicide bomber, a terrorist bomber, that they don't care that they're going to get killed like the bee the bee is willing to attack even though it's going to get killed. So that's why King David compared those future, that was a prophecy that he said, that those future terrorists will be like bees. Okay, so if Tony is ready, I got to get to my letter and word of the week. So hopefully right behind me is the seventh letter of the Jewish alphabet. It's pretty much a stick with a head on top of it. It's called a Zion. It makes a Z sound, and of course, its numerical value is seven, which we'll get to some seven stories soon. And a good word for Zion is Zahav. Zahav is gold. Why is that a good word? First of all, it's a good word, but why is it a good word? Nothing to do with Bitcoin. Um, it's a good. It's a good. It reminded me of a story this morning. 
There was a boy in Jerusalem in the early 1900s, and in the early 1900s in Jerusalem and many places in Europe, but certainly in Jerusalem, people were very poor. People were starving. Um, There wasn't really much money. Most of the money came in. People sent donations to help people survive in Jerusalem. Um, it was only later that uh, the more farmers came in, they were to start farming the land and businesses and stuff started sprouting up. But certainly then they were very poor. So it was the Sabbath, which is day seven, by the way. Right. So let's keep in mind our number seven. So there was a boy and he was walking and he saw a gold coin. I think it was called the Napoleon, I think. Um, he was walking and he, um, he sees a gold coin, but it's the Sabbath. And a religious Jew is not going to pick up money even if it's a gold coin on the Sabbath. So he says, but it's a lot of money. So you know what? I'm going to put my foot on top of it and stand here. And he's standing there half an hour, 45 minutes, an hour. And it seems there's an Arab watching him and watching and watching. And the Arab figures something's wrong. Like the kid's not budging. Like nobody just stands still for hours. It's ridiculous. So he approaches the boy and he asks him, why are you standing here? What are you doing? What are you doing? What's going on? What's going on? And eventually he figures out the kid is stepping on something. So he pushes the kid over, takes the gold coin, puts it in his pocket, and runs away. And the boy is very frustrated. Here he thought he was keeping the Sabbath, and when Sabbath would be over, he would, he would uh, be able to pick up the coin and help his family, and he felt really terrible about what had happened. So he went to his teacher, a great rabbi, and he told him the story. So the rabbi opens his drawer, and from his drawer takes out a gold Napoleon. And he says to the boy, he says... You know, you lost a gold Napoleon. I feel terrible for you. If you'd like, I could replace that gold Napoleon for you. But here's the catch. If I give you the gold Napoleon, then you have to give me that mitzvah that you were willing to keep the Sabbath and you got beat up over it and you didn't get the money you thought you were going to get because you kept the Sabbath. So will you take the trade, the gold coin, or keep the mitzvah? So the boy understood the value if the rabbi is willing to give him a very valuable gold coin that obviously this mitzvah is a precious one and he got a good lesson in the value of keeping the Sabbath. So that's the number seven. That's Zahav with gold. That gets us into our story. As a, another fascinating thought, I said we're going to jump around from some of the Torah portions. It says Moses prayed 515 times to be allowed into the land of Israel. And, um, and God said no. So people ask, so what happened to those 515 prayers? So there's a rabbi, his name is Usher Weiss. He made an interesting mathematical calculation, and I even wrote it down. He says the world will be a total of 6,093 years. Most people like to say the world will last 6,000 years. He's quoting from someone else, 6,093 years. Moses dies in the year 2488. So if you minus um, 2488 from 6093, you get 3,605, which happens to be, because our letter is Zion, happens to be 7 times 515. So God is telling Moses, look, your 515 prayers, we're going to multiply them by seven. And they're so valuable, they will protect the Jewish people, they'll protect the world till the end of time. So Moses, you pick. Would you rather go into the land of Israel with your 515 prayers 
Or would you rather that your prayers are powerful enough to protect the Jewish people till the end of time? So Moses is no fool, like the child in the story I told you before. And uh, Moses understood that let's uh, keep my prayers for something that's quite valuable that will be a benefit to the Jewish people. And therefore Moses says, fine, no more prayers. I'm not going into the land of Israel. And uh, I will be more than satisfied that my prayers are so powerful that they have the ability to save uh, the Jewish people. So I barely have time to wrap up. We talked about so many things. We talked about proper rebuke. We talked about respect today. We talked a little about prayer. We talked about the Shema. We talked about serving God with all your attributes and loving God with your soul, with your money. So many good things we talked about today. We crammed them into our quick hour. And as always, thank you to our wonderful sponsors and listeners. You know, I couldn't do it without you. Thank you to my wonderful production team today. We have Tony, Ben, and Angel here. I hope I've left you with some food for thought. Until next week, I'm Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah New Radio Media. And until next week, don't forget to think about it.